Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. I am Jennifer Justice. Today, we have a podcaster on the podcast. Uh, Her name is Emily Tish Sussman. I'm sure you've all heard of her because she hosts an amazing podcast called She Pivots. Hi, Emily. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on. I love lady business. I know. I mean, who doesn't love lady business? Love, love. <laughs> We're putting the business back into lady business because it used to be all about our lady parts. So it's our lady. Mm-hmm. No, I love the business aspect. Yeah, <laughs> great. When I was first thinking of the name, I was like, do I do taking care of business, taking care of lady business, or let's get down to business. I did a poll, obviously taking care of lady business worked, but yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have been hosting a show called Getting Down to Business over the last year for Marie Claire. So clearly we're really in a alignment on our branding. Yes, exactly. And clearly women want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Um so let's just start. Let's just dig in. I want to um we'll get to the podcast, but you know, from the title she pivots, there's an obvious, you know, angle to it and something that we're really excited about talking about here um because everyone, especially when you're like 18, 19, you think that your career is linear, right? It's like you need to know everything. And a pivot is a big, um, you know, you get to be older and you're like, okay, there's valleys and peaks and lots of pivots. So let's start with your background and how you got in here, which I think tells in the story of how she pivot starts. Yeah, it definitely leads into it. My life, my career has not always been as a podcaster. I know it's really going to surprise people. <laughs> but I'm a lawyer by training, like you. I did mm-hmm. constitutional law because I wanted to help people. So I ended up working on political campaigns. That's where I started. I worked on presidential campaigns. Then after Barack Obama's campaign, I moved to D.C. because, you know, after Barack Obama's campaign, we thought all the magic happened in D.C. And that was the only place to make change. And if you were a person that wanted to make change, you had to move to D.C., which I had never thought about doing. Like, I'm a, I grew up in New York City. I'm a lifelong New Yorker. I was like, who would ever do anything outside of New York? Because nothing exists outside of New York. Right. Because that's how we all think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So once I got to D.C., I was like, oh, it's a whole new world. I wasn't totally sold on living there, but I was sold on the work. Because I ended up working in federal policy, which was so exciting because it was so impactful. Like the scale of what we could change when we changed laws for the entire country Mm -hmm. was just massive. Like if if you're someone that cares about changing the world, it was an exciting place to be. And it was an exciting time to be there. Yeah. You feel it when you go there, right? You feel the energy. Like I was just there last week and I was like, there's a ton of energy there. Now I get it. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Are you practicing as a lawyer at this time? Um, I worked in federal policy, so I was working in. So I was not admitted to the bar in New York, never in D.C. So I was not taking clients um, as a lawyer. I was working on policy creation. So I was working on 
what actual language would be in the bill that we passed that would turn into law. I worked on lobbying members of Congress to sign on to our bill. So just to back up for a second, I ended up working for a nonprofit representing LGBT members of the military under the Don't Ask, Don't Tell law. So as people were getting kicked out of the military because they were gay, lesbian, and bisexual, our organization were their free legal counsel. And I worked on the side of the organization to change the law. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. See, there's another one right there. There's something like you go to law school. doesn't mean you have to go outside and be a lawyer and go get clients and whatever. You can work in-house. You can work on policy. Okay, great. Thank you. There's so many ways. And once you get to Washington, you realize that actually everybody in Washington is a lawyer. And there's so many bad ways. (laughs) (laughs) But it was great. I mean, I ended up as part of my job. I ended up at the Pentagon, like at the Department of Defense with generals every week working on what a new policy would look like if Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. And believe me, I was so happy I was a lawyer at that point because I am a civilian. Like I've never served in the military. I was young. I was female. Like for all the reasons I didn't feel like I was supposed to be in that room. And the fact that I was a lawyer at least helped me feel like, okay, well, at least I know what they're talking about. Like at least I know about the substance and I can really analyze it. So I stayed in that job as long. We we did repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. It was one of the big accomplishments of the beginning of the Obama administration, which was the best feeling in the world. Yeah to have a win at a huge scale, to know that so many people's lives are going to be so impacted by it. Um, And from there, I kind of kept moving through jobs in Washington. So um, I was the executive director of the Young Democrats of America for Obama's reelect for 2012. I started at that time as an on-air commentator. So like going on cable news saying like, Democrats think this, Republicans think this, obviously what the Democrats think is better because I'm a democratic strategist. So that was, that was what I did. Uh, And I ended up, I worked on a variety of issues and I ended up as the campaign directors are running campaigns for the largest progressive think tank in Washington called the center for American progress. Mm -hmm. So what that meant is most of the think tank was made up of really like brainiac people who would say like, I think the next big idea in climate change is like this idea, but they're such brainiacs, they don't really know how to implement it. So I would design the campaign for the issue, like not for a person, like a presidential, but like the issue. Um, And I would help them implement it or hire the right staff to do it or figure out whatever the right thing was. Um, I worked there through Trump's election. So that's when I had my first kid, then second kid, right in order. And the pace of the job was so much faster under the Trump election. Like, it was an intense job to begin with. They had designed it for me. And I know it's going to come as a real surprise to you, but I work at kind of kind of a high intensity. <laughs> I'm sure everyone's surprised by that at this point. <laughs> um, so having two kids in 18 months was really tough. Yeah. To begin with. And knowing that, that Trump is president and that's the future on top of it. It's like. Right. And just sort of like a pr- depressing gloom. Yes. Over me oh, my God. And at the beginning, it felt like what we were doing was worthwhile. Like mm-hmm. it felt like maybe we could actually do something to push back on, like to blunt the impact of his policies. But I went on the second maternity leave um, about halfway into his into his first, into his second year. And having those 12 weeks outside the office gave me the space to feel like I'm actually not sure there's anything we can do that will blunt the impact of his policies. And I'm working around the clock the same way I was before, actually more because he would drop new policies on Friday nights and on Sundays because that's when his staff would give him access to his Twitter account. And so he hadn't planned them. He would just like tweet new policies. So then my job was to organize our response 
And of course, Friday nights and Sundays is when you don't have childcare. Yes. So it just became like a logistical nightmare for me. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't stay in my job. Then I had a third kid going into the Biden, uh, into the, 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 the Trump reelect campaign. We didn't know it was going to be Biden at the time. And I thought, okay, like now I know how to work in politics and be a parent and I'm going to do it all. Three weeks later, the world went into a lockdown. So mm-hmm. now I had a two-year-old, three-year-old and three-week-old. Oh my God. No child care, no support, you know, like no, anything I thought that would help me get to be able to work on this presidential campaign disappeared. Yeah. And it wasn't just that my job disappeared. It was that my identity disappeared with it because my identity was so tied to being a successful professional and successful specifically in politics. Mm -hmm. And it didn't exist. Like it didn't exist. I could not do it. And so it was so depressing that I didn't even know who I was. And here I had these three kids that I wasn't particularly attached to because I'm not super into babies. Now my kids are, you know, (laughs) three years older and I'm into them, but like, I'm not into babies. And I felt guilty about the fact that I was not that into them. But like, I say that because it wasn't like I was making this motherhood choice. Like, oh, I'm so like drawn to spend time with them. I was not. Right. But I had to, like, there wasn't a big choice around it. And the thing that I was drawn to doing, which was working hard in politics, I couldn't do. So I needed to know that people had done things like this before. Like I literally needed stories of inspiration. And so I thought at the time I had a political podcast and I thought, well, I know how to podcast. Like that's a way to do it. And how do you get your idols to tell you things? You put them on a podcast. Exactly. So that is how I started yeah. She Pivots. <laughs> wow, that is so intense. Well, I love the fact that you're so honest and vulnerable about the baby thing. I remember Ange- uh, Angelina Jolie saying that once and there people like skewering her. And it's like, look, it's hard. I mean, first of all, it's hard with the hormones in your body and all the things that happen and postpartum depression probably hitting way more people than people will admit because they don't want to admit they're like, like not bonding with the baby. I mean, it's tough. You're exhausted, all that stuff. And then on top For of sure. Part, yeah. No, I had the same thing when I left also Rock Nation. I was Jay-Z's attorney. People, That's what I was. That's who I was. I was his executive and 17 years and that's all I, you know, and then it's like all of a sudden I had to be like, wait, is anybody even going to pay attention to me when I leave here? You know, am I any good or do I just have the leverage of him? Is that how I'm getting all these deals done? You know, yeah. and it was like kind of restarting everything uh, a little bit, you know, when I decided to go. To leave um, when I so relate to that so well. So I felt that loss of identity a couple of times. Like I felt it when I first left the think tank because I had been in this really powerful position in the think tank. And I thought, well, is anybody going to hire me as an independent consultant or do they just work with me because they feel like they have to? Yeah, work at this think tank. I mean, that was a huge loss for me, even just to go out on my own. I ended up that first year as an independent political consultant. I ended up working basically the same amount of hours, but from my closet in my apartment, because that was the only place my kids couldn't find me. And at the end of that year, I thought, why am I still not spending any time with my kids or seeing them? Because I felt like I had so much to quote prove that I would take like every job, every client, everything. Cause I had to like prove that 
and prove it to who? And at, the, at one point I thought, who am I proving this to? Like, I'm not particularly happy. Nobody yeah. else knows how much work I'm getting. Like, why am I doing this? Exactly. Like, who is that? Yeah. But you're your own worst enemy at that point, right? I yeah. am my own worst enemy in every aspect of this along the way and continue to well, be. <laughs> I know. I mean, I feel it's, you know, it's something that we come about honestly as women. That's just like this, this thing, this need to be perfect. I mean, obviously, you know, all these quotes are coming out now because of the Barbie movie, you know, and it's like this need to feel perfect and, you know, that you're never good enough and all of those, you know, thoughts, et cetera. Um, and you're experiencing yeah. all. Yeah, but it's I have to say, like, it's not just external. Like, I like to work hard. Like, that yeah. is where I get I get self-fulfillment. It's where I have identity. It's where I feel like I'm contributing something to the world. Like, I do, I have all of that in me. Like, I really, I think there is a lot that is external, but there's also a lot that's internal, too. Like, I think yeah, that's really what I was actually stuff. talking about. Oh, the yeah. Internal. Like, the internal, it's just like, I literally just walked into my office and went by two pieces of paper on the floor, and I was like, God, I haven't picked that up in, like, two days. And I was like, you know what I mean? It's like... Who cares? Like, seriously. But I'm like, when I let those things go and you beat yourself up so much over the smallest things. So it's like, we, that's what I mean by we come about it honestly. It's like, it's really us that is doing it, you know? And for what reason? Because as you said, nobody outside cares. They just, they always have the same opinion of you. She's super hard worker. She's super smart. She cares a lot. She has a lot of passion, you know, all of those things. And we're sitting there going, Oh my God, I didn't X, Y, Z, you know what I mean? To make myself 110% perfect. Yeah, Uh, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, and then, so she pivots, but what was the, so it was really just to like interview, you know, the women that you, you know, were, um, more like idolizing. <laughs> I mean, basically started at the beginning because I needed to know that it was possible Yeah, because I was really not res. The, the idea of resilience was not really resonating with me Yeah, because I wasn't trying to go back to the same thing. The same thing wasn't, it wasn't possible. Like the same thing wasn't accessible to me. So I wanted to know that, that something different could come and it actually could be better. Yeah. And then once I started to really think about this idea of what am I doing here? Like I've spent my I've spent my life thinking about legislative change, like changing laws as the way that I uniquely contribute to the world. Like that is what I am best positioned to do. Mm -hmm. But if that's not available to me, then how do I think about it differently? And so now I think about it as culture change. And part of it is being super honest about all of these parts about it. And, you know, showing up with my deeply unwashed hair and, you know, like with all the things that are real, I think this is all part of it. And the way that I think about culture change now is telling these stories and really highlighting the stories of our guests that come on, but really highlighting that it's not linear. Your career is not linear. Your Mm -hmm. life is not linear. It's not 30 under 30. Like it doesn't matter if you accomplish things early. It's actually the stuff you do later. That's more interesting. Yeah. And the place that I felt like people were getting kind of stuck was that, They couldn't do the same thing they did before, or they felt like whatever they had done before was a waste. Mm -hmm. And that piece I really want to redefine, that actually it builds, like it all builds. So really pulling out the pieces of the story that you look at someone and you think, oh, they're so successful, but actually that success could not have come, but for the things they had accomplished and gone through previously, like those things built together to find the success. So like pulling out those pieces that all of this builds to what we now see is like, oh, it's the Forbes women's conference, whatever, you know, like 
we had to have gone through those things because then I think women can start to see themselves in the position of, okay, well, this thing that I'm in right now is not sitting right. Like either it's unpleasant, hard, downright terrible. And I feel like I've done this stuff before that isn't applying, but let me reframe it for myself. Like Mm -hmm. I can build towards something better. Yeah. better than I was before with all of this experience that I've had before. So I think of it as, as culture change through storytelling now. I think that is such an important thing as well, because not only because, you know, you don't have to think of your path as linear, but the things that you thought you wanted, right? Like you got to college, you got in this place and at 25, you're like, by the time I'm 35, I'm going to be the CEO. And then you get to be the CEO or 40 years CEO. Like you might be, it might be miserable. Because you didn't really understand what it was. Like I have an executive coach, um, and she's amazing. She's been on the podcast, Helen Mumford Soul, and she tells a story about how she was on this track and professional, and she had this company, and, and it got you know bought, and then she became the CEO of this company, and they were on an offsite with all the executive C-suite people, and they were saying like uh, everyone's giving their you know career trajectory, which was like hockey stick, and it was like amazing, and she's up there, and like she feels like she has to, she's about to cry because she's leading this thing, and she's like, this is awful, like I am miserable. And she's like, why am I miserable? I'm at the pinnacle of my, what I think is my career, you know? And it turns out it wasn't, she wasn't doing purpose and passion behind it. And so literally she quit her job. It's like she went all over the world to find out what happiness was and then studied to be an executive coach. And that's what she does now. And for, and she's very, very good because you know, she's British and has this nice little British accent and convinced me like to quit my job as a single mom with two and a half year olds, you know, <laughs> working with Jay-Z and Beyonce and everybody. And I was like, how did you do that? You know what I mean? It wasn't, and she never once said you should quit your job. But like, after talking to her after a while, I was like, um, what am I doing? Like, I need to move on. I need to do something else. And uh, it's such an important lesson, right? It's like, you don't have, like, you can lo- you can, can be at the total pinnacle and still be on six, like be unsatisfied but not like unsatisfied, like, you know, over ambitious Well, that, that too, but like, because it's not what you thought it was going to be when you got there. Right. And that's okay. You can still, it's, it's okay. I think that's an important yeah. part that it's okay. Yeah. And what actually really jumped out to me about your story was even how you got to be Jay-Z's lawyer in the first place, Yeah, because like a young associate at a firm that, you know, I'm sure going in people thought, People would look at it and think like, oh, I'm sure he wanted to go with like the most seasoned or whatever. But because you had that outside of law practice experience of just being interested in music and being familiar with him, you actually were the best lawyer for him. Yeah. Yeah. Because I I loved him and his music and the people it attracted and what he was saying and all of those things, you know, and I had no preconceived notions of what I was supposed to do. I mean, there was one firm that I thought, oh, I'm going to I'm going to be at this one firm called, you know, Grubman and Dursky. And I finally got the interview and it was all white men in suits with wood panels. I was like, this is what I'm coming from. I don't want this. And of course, I didn't get the job, but then that led me to, you know, Carol Guido Groffin, where then I became Jay-Z's attorney. So it's all these pivots. And it's so easy to look back and say, oh, it's all great. You know what I mean? But it's so stressful when you're going into that. But, you know, we hope to young women listening and women in particular, anybody's listening, that you understand that it's not 
it doesn't necessarily mean one setback or not getting that right job or whatever that is, is not going to set back your entire career. It's a very long journey and you build on your experience. Totally. And I, and I love that, like the way that you're talking about, like, it's not toxic positivity, like, oh, it's all meant to be. No, 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 it's not that. But like, if they, even if it's your dream job, if they can't see that you're right for it, then actually you wouldn't have been happy there. No, I wouldn't have gone in or successful. No, not even necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the things I tell people all the time, like there are, but deals too bad to accept too. And you know what? Sometimes if you're going into a job or career and you're trying to negotiate what you should do and they're just like, no, like then, oh, you know, and if you need the money, take the job, but make sure you have one foot out the door. The second you start, you're looking for a new job and get everything out of that job. Squeeze it dry, you know? Um, So a lot of stuff in common and what we talk about. I love that. Um, so tell me about, okay, so she pivots. How long ago did it start? Uh, about a year and a half ago. I gave myself a couple months to figure out. I had my political podcast I had done as part of a network, like mm-hmm. a podcast company. And then when I was going into this show, I thought, you know what? I actually know how to do this all myself. I don't need to pay somebody else to be a part of this. So I actually built an, a media company to create the show. Um, so it took me a couple months to launch it. And then I shopped around for my ideal media partner. I wanted a media partnership, you know, in some ways to help me with visibility and distribution. But honestly, I wanted somebody to validate me outside yeah. of the political space. Like I felt like I was so, especially because I was on TV for about 10 years as a as an on-air commentator yeah. in cable news. I was so heavily over-indexed in political that I didn't think that anybody would want to hear anything from me that wasn't political analysis. So mm-hmm. I felt like I needed more of a, like a lifestyle career brand to be partnered with, to validate the show. And quite frankly, there's just a sea of podcasts. I wanted to stand out. So I approached. No, a lot I know. Of- <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. It is hard. Yeah. I mean, at first when you're like doing it and then after a while, momentum has built, you know, with this one and we have a ton, you know, hundreds of thousands. So it's great. It's great to have that kind of listenership. But the, but the real thing is, is because people want the content. There's not a lot of content talking about women in business. There's just not, you know, and usually then they're talking about like work-life balance and, it's just so specific work-life balance. Like, yeah. as you just said, like, you know, your story really resonates in the fact that like you could not do your job and have three kids, you know, there are certain jobs you can't do, you know, if you don't have childcare, like an ER nurse doctor, or, you know what I mean? There's things that's like where you have to be there. I have chosen a career that I can go pick up my kids at, at summer camp today. You know, sometimes I leave them a little later, but you know, and they're at the age of where they can walk home. One is just down the block so she can walk home. So, you know, it's always, it, it is tough. It's like work-life balance is real and what you end up doing really affects that, but there are multiple ways to do it. Right. And spread the message. And totally. And I think just the, like the, the connotations around the phrase work-life balance are just like a little bit antiquated. Like, I don't, I mean, I guess technically what I'm thinking about is work-life balance, but that's not everything I think that goes associated with it. I, I don't really connect with. Yeah. Like I tend to think of it as I'm redefining success for myself and I'm constantly redefining success for myself. And what success for myself is right now used to be this title, this salary, this access to the White House, like this many hours. And like, that is how I used to define success for myself. And now I'm defining it as, yes, I can pick up my kids from camp. Yes, I can drop them off. 
you know, yes, if they're having a problem, I have the ability to be able to go in and meet with the teacher when I need to and have right now what my five-year-old is home with me today because she just felt like she was a little disconnected from me and she needed a day with me. So mm-hmm. she is with me today. You know, the fact that I can do that, that is success for me right yeah. now. And yeah, yeah. I actually have in the last, very relevant, in the last week, I was talking with some DC players about going back in for a little bit of time and getting back into the into the political world for a period of time. And it's a, it, and in fact, it's not going to work out because they're not going to let, the thing that is important for me right now in my life will not work out with this yeah. job. Um, but interestingly, it's a job that they're having trouble filling, partly because if you still work inside the system, like inside DC, it's not considered particularly prestigious because it's not like focused on DC. Yeah. But it's really appealing to me because I'm not focused on DC anymore. Like I'm focused on the greater public and people that are not super plugged in all the time. And so that appeals to me. But it's super interesting to see how like still even within within DC, those kinds of jobs are like not like not super prestigious. But what's interesting when you said that you can't do it because you're not because of the lifestyle. And so they're having a hard time fulfilling that because they can't find people who want that lifestyle and they want and they're not going to get the prestige on top of it. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, basically, I offered to be I offered to go to D.C. to be in person four days a week and work from home. Fridays. Um, yeah. and they said, no, it's five days. And you have to like, basically you have to move back to DC. <laughs> the, the hypocrisy. <laughs> I know. And I was like, you know, like you guys have all worked with me before, you know, that even when I'm home, like yeah. I'm working my yeah, ass yeah. off, but I just, I need to have one day a week where I can like yeah. get my kids to school and yeah, just know yeah. that I can go to a school concert or something. Exactly. Um, no, and inter- no. Yeah, no, they actually said that um, the reason I can't do it is because they've had bad morale of the young people in their office asking, like, why does that person have an exemption? Why does that person? And I was like, well, I mean, I've worked in this field for 20 years and I have three kids under the age of seven. That's going to be an interesting time for work, too, to be like, um, okay, so we were gone through COVID. You know, remote work has totally changed and how people have those kinds of of interactions. But then here you have a whole new set of people coming in, right, to work and they don't have any experience. And so they just look at the people at the top and like, why are they getting these benefits? But what I find interesting is why they don't understand why you're getting these benefits. It's because we spent 20 years doing it. And we spent 20 years doing it. And this is what I would say to mine, like, after I left Rock Nation, I went to Superfly to try to like get more experience. And and even though I was an EVP of Rock Nation, everyone still called me a lawyer. And I was like, okay, I just became, I became the president of corporate development at Superfly. And it was super easy. They were super, you know, lenient, no like vacation policies, et cetera. And I had one woman who was working for me and she had taken by October, like 30 days off. Right. And I was like, okay, well, that is the policy. And then she gave me the the remaining 10 that she was going to take before the end of the year. And I was like, look, that's great because the, the company actually allows for that. But here's what I'm going to tell you happens when you're not here. 
I'm giving all the good stuff to the people who are sitting in front of me asking for things. And we're sitting here having offside conversations and we're in the meetings in here. And when, you know, we're the ones who are like looking at each other's eyes going, oh, that's a good idea and riffing off of things. Right. And that happens when you're present and around, but when you're not, then that's not going to happen. So make your decision. But just know that those are those are your, it's your choice, you know. And I, I would just wish people would say that more often and like help people understand what they're going to miss by not being around. Yeah, and, I absolutely agree. I think yeah. that, I think they're not being honest. And I actually said this when we were in this conversation that I said, well, I have no problem explaining to people without children because I've been in their position why it's a different situation. And also to your point that like. I've put 20 years in. Yeah. So when you have me in the room for an hour, it's different than if you haven't. Yeah. It's like that meme that's been going around. It's like, it might take me 30 minutes to do it because I have 10 years of experience. You're paying me for the 10 years, not the 30 minutes. And as a lawyer by the hour, when they're like, well, why is it so much? It's like, because I can do it in in one phone call with any other person that you're hiring that's a junior and half my price will take you 20. So who are you going to end up spending more money with and probably getting less results. Yeah, that's a hundred percent right. Yeah. Okay. So let's um, talk a little bit more about the the podcast and what you're learning from all of these women. What do you think is, do you find in common in everybody that you're interviewing? Well, we spend a lot of time talking about the sort of lower moments in their lives. Like the thing Mm -hmm. that ended up being, because it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be dramatic to change somebody's life, but you know, we're all sort of creatures of what's comfortable. So if something is sort of a minor inconvenience, we don't really change our perspective or change our lives that much. So the women that we do tend to have on the show have had like fairly dramatic things happen to them because it really led to this like mm-hmm. big change for them. And a big commonality that I find in those moments is that they didn't really see a light at the end of the tunnel. Like they did not know it was going to lead to success in the end. It just felt so heavy and so dark. Yeah. And I pull that out again, not to say that everyone has to go through something like incredibly dark, but I do think it gives all of us a little bit of perspective that it does usually lead to something like pretty big to change your perspective that like really change your life fully. But also you know, when you're out there and you're on your Instagram scrolling and being like, oh, everyone just pulled it together. Like they all just figured it out. Like, no, they all like they did not know they were going to be successes. Like it did feel darker, but it wasn't until they changed their mindset and be were able to see, okay, I can learn from this and I can build on it. That's when it put them on the trajectory to the success that they have now. And success defined however they want it to be right. Not just necessarily financial success. That's my favorite part is that we have people with success defined in all different sorts of ways. You know, some have like really extreme difference. You know, we have a woman who grew up in a cult who escaped the cult and is now a commercial roofer. So that was like a pretty extreme change. Um, But, you know, then we have sort of like pivots in place. Like we have Lala Kent from Vanderpump Rules, who's, you know, kind of doing the same thing she did before, but but is now sober. And has a very different perspective on how she approaches her life and her businesses um, in that way. And recently I interviewed someone I've always wanted to have on the show, Bobby Brown. Yeah. Because she personifies this change in perspective and change in success. She had a, 
billion dollar global brand in her name. Mm -hmm. And in the end, really wasn't happy in it. Yeah. And so now she has a smaller brand, Jones Road, um, which seems like it's catapulting into the stratosphere and in fact may become a global superpower brand. But she doesn't, she isn't trying to turn it into this giant thing. She's trying to find happiness in it. And so having that conversation was really important to me that it doesn't always have to look bigger, flashier with your name on it. You can define success as, as it is happiness for you right now. Well, that's part of it too, is using your name. Once your name is on your product, whenever I have clients, I'm like, be very careful about that. You know, and people are like, well, you have the Justice Department. I was like, that's not a trademark. That's my last name. Like the Justice Department has a trademark for that. Like, you know, it was like, that's why like I like to build lady business, you know? It's funny and irreverent, like the Justice Department, like naming my company the Justice Department. But also, you know, she's of a generation, Bobby Brown, that has, you know, they were a generation of first kind of women in doing anything. So she had a certain like way that she had to do things, which is more masculine and men. So probably the authenticity when she got to the top didn't feel as comfortable as, you know. As she thought, yeah, and might. and putting her name on a brand, it was. A, I mean, I really pushed her on that point. Like, how yeah. did it feel to step away and someone else owns your name? And what advice would you give entrepreneurs? It's still sensitive to her. Yeah, it's like she's still. It's still a real sore point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, she's she care in the same, right? Yeah. And you know, Bobby, right? I mean, they did it twenty five years ago. Yeah. So it was long before now, like the the moment we're in right now, where everyone's launching things under their own name because there's no distinction between you as the person and you as the brand. Which I don't know if it's going to end that well, to be honest yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually quite specific, even in my Instagram, that like, you know, she pivots the podcast is the show and the brand and the business. Me personally is my kids to my circle of my high school friends. Like that is like the brand needs to be able to exist without me. And in some way it is me. So they're not totally separate. And you know, what we find performs better is when I'm more in it. And I know, same, you know, it's, it's really, there's not a good answer right now because people do want to see, they want to see more a peek into your life, but also I need to have boundaries. And that's how I feel comfortable. And again, that is success for me right now is being able to put something that I'm comfortable with out into the world, but I choose what I put out and I choose what stays private. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's that. It's always that thing. It's like, you, you know, if you're in the video, people will watch it more. If you, you know, you post about yourself, it's like, Oh my God, it's exhausting. You know, I know. I don't think about a filter like Zoom making you look amazing all the time. It's like, like, I don't want to think about myself that much. I don't want, I don't think anybody else wants to either. I'm actually very low maintenance. It's like, you know, putting on makeup is a big thing for me. So it's like, (laughs) no, same. I was actually just swimming laps before this. No, good for you. I really pulled it together to get on your video podcast. I'm going to just start putting little like smiley faces in front of my own faces so I don't have to like be in it. Um, this is awesome. Thank you so much for all this. How often does She Pivots come out and when? So She Pivots comes out every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. So you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
really anywhere you can yeah. uh, it comes is out it a specific time it comes out in the morning or something uh, i believe it's we're scheduled to come out at either five or six a.m so yeah. you know it's yeah. there for you <laughs> in your feed when you're ready unless you want to get it hot at six a.m you're looking for inspirational stories at at a hot six a.m love it you know um, i do have one more question though about podcasts because all you know a lot of women have podcasts etc um can you just speak to a little bit you know you said you chose a media partner and all the different reasons have you ever done it where you didn't have a media partner or your other your political podcast had a had a partner as well right uh the last season of the political podcast i was totally on my own okay um and so that that was fine as well. I was still figuring out, honestly, there was no pressure on me because I was figuring out what kind of content I wanted to put out, what kind of format I wanted to do, what kind of guests I wanted to have. Like the political podcast had been geared towards the 2020 presidential election. So I was, the last season of the political show was in the beginning of the Biden administration. So I was trying to figure out what the content looked like and without having any kind of pressure on me, I think was good for that moment yeah. that I can just yeah. sort of be out there tinking around and figure no, it out. I hear like a lot of women talking about it and they want to get their voice or brand or whatever out there. And there's so many ways to do a podcast that you don't have to like pressure yourself and all the different, you have to get a sponsor. You have to do this. I mean, yeah, could you have to pay stuff more time, et cetera, but you own the brand and you own the mark. Like nobody owns my stuff, you know, which I love. It's so important. And in fact, yeah. that is the deal that I have now with Marie Claire that I fully own the show. They are my media partner and they help me. Yeah. But I would not make a deal where I don't own the mark and where I don't own creative control. That, in fact, yeah. I've spoken like to you a bunch can't, of- you can say whatever you want. Yes, exactly. Yes. And I've spoken with a bunch of media partners where the conversation ends very quickly because yeah. although they may be offering me something incredible for me not to have final control and final sign off on what comes out of me is a non-negotiable. Yeah. And the other thing that a lot of people don't realize is once you sign off to well, up to an iHeart, et cetera, they own the RSS fee and it's really hard to get anything back. Like it's hard to get all of your stuff back, even if they want to give it back to you because it's like hosted on something else. Um, and they own future rights. Yeah. And they also own future rights for it. Like that. Yeah. We can do a whole other podcast on <laughs> Let's do that. On bad podcast deals. That actually is. Yeah, because people don't understand how how they can be structured, but they can always call me. (laughs) Anyway, um, I know I have to let you go. So She Pivots comes out Wednesdays anywhere that you can can listen to podcasts and where can they find uh you the find it and you on social media well they can't find you because you're just like hanging out with your high school friends huh, privately on instagram with your kids i got it and is it she pivots on instagram yeah she pivots the podcast on instagram we do have behind the scenes stuff coming out and i am you know in a number of businesses now that we're sort of starting to put out a little bit more into she pivots as well like i'm producing Broadway shows and Ooh, uh, amazing. Yeah. I, I guess I'm teasing out here. I have a capsule fashion line coming out. Well, look at that, huh? here. So we're teasing all that out. Revenue streams. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, we can't let you go without the final question that we always ask um, on taking care of lady business. And that is what is the worst advice you've ever received? The first question political job that I worked on. I worked on John Kerry's presidential campaign in Pennsylvania in 2004. And the older male senior staffer on the campaign, we were all out to drinks one night because don't forget when you're on a campaign, like you've all moved there and, and you work long hours. So like you see no one else, like you are one closed unit. 
um, he asked me who I'm going to start hooking up with on the campaign. And so I wouldn't say it was advice, although it was maybe implied advice. And I was horrified and <laughs> left crying. A hashtag what not to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. my God. You're left crying because you were like, am I supposed to ha- hook up with somebody? Yes. No, really. I was like, what? This is professional me. Hello. I left party Emily in college. This is professional Emily. I don't go hooking up with my coworkers. And in fact, then I ended up with a long-term boyfriend out of the campaign. So I guess he was maybe right, but. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, good advice, bad advice. We'll leave it up to you all. Thank you so much for being on Taking Care Lady Business today. And to everybody listening, thank you. And until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon bestselling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com.